Hey everyone, it's Sam, back girl with the curls, bringing you another episode. Another episode. Not only just another episode, but it's episode 99, which is really cool because episode 100 is right, is not right after this, obviously. We try to give it a week or two, depending on how my schedule goes, but uh, this time I can say for sure that in one week after this episode has dropped... Uh, there will be episode 100 following it because that's just super awesome that I got to a a hundred. I mean, honestly, I didn't even know if I was going to make it that far. I didn't know what was going to happen. And so the fact that I'm making it to a hundred episodes is kind of awesome on a personal goal level, I guess. I, I mean, I don't know. It's for me, it's a, it's a really cool thing that's happened that there's been a hundred people you know, more or less, depending, uh, who have actually wanted to, uh, do the podcast, um, whether it was by my invitation or otherwise, uh, who have come on and has, it's been great. It's been awesome. And I'll probably get into this more next week when I do the intro that'll go on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. But this episode, this is episode 99 with author Sarah Gailey, who, uh, when we were talking about this, uh, just the, first book in the duology of the hippopotami in the south um i don't know if there's actually a a a term that she's come up with but all i know is that it's just books with uh an alternate history where hippos run amok um more or less but sarah gailey is the author of uh river of teeth which is a really great uh novella and uh we get into that which we don't like go into like a huge spoiler area but there's it's it's in and out so if you haven't read river of teeth maybe read that first before you like get way into this podcast because we do kind of spoil a couple of things um it's not i mean you 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 know how to operate when you know that there might be spoilers up there so go ahead and do that um and uh when we were recording this uh, taste of marrow which is the second book had not yet uh, been released, but it is, as of the recording of this intro to this podcast, uh, River of, uh, not River, uh, Taste of Marrow, the second, and I think the only other uh, part of this uh, duology, obviously, from the the term, uh, is out now and uh, there for your reading pleasure. I haven't yet read it. Um, I'm getting to that this weekend. And yeah, it's hopefully it will uh, be everything I want it to be and more. But uh, Sarah was awesome. She uh, she and I clicked really e- you know easily and quickly. So this podcast is much more about two people who have a very similar sense of humor, talking about alternate history, history in general, and the writing process. So yeah, um, please enjoy episode ninety nine with Sarah Gailey. times in uh, Washington state that's uh it's pretty much what what I live by is just not going out in the sun so mm-hmm. yeah I'm an indoor kid sure. yeah um, how are you doing with all the smoke uh it's better today than it was yesterday um it's supposed to clear out what they say by mostly by tomorrow but uh it's been it's been a bit rougher just because with the heat and then probably shouldn't open your window and we have a baby in the house so it's yeah it's a rough one. Yeah, I'm sorry to go, but the baby's sick too. That's terrible. Yeah, he's he's gotten better today. Uh, he, it's my nephew, and he's uh, um, he's kind of like hoarse. He's kind of lost whatever his voice a little bit. So he, mm-hmm. but he's not hurting. But he's experimenting with like the range of his voice currently. So he's oh, no. <laughs> he's curious and he's testing, and and you're just like. Yeah. How can you be so adorable and yet make me feel like I should be feeling pain or something for you? <laughs> Damn you, small child who is cute and adorable. And <laughs> the cuteness is a survival thing, you know. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I I don't like to brag, but my nephew is pretty damn cute, so. 
I, I assume that he's the cutest baby in all the land. Yes, and I have the benefit of that being so true, and, <laughs> and no one will ever, ever challenge me on that. Of course not. No, it's just objective fact. Of course, no. I'm, I'm purely coming from a place of, you know, I've seen a lot of babies in my life. A lot of babies. Mm-hmm. This one's by far the best. Mm-hmm. And he's not even your baby, so you're objective. First, you, right? Thank you. I've been trying to tell yeah. my friends that because they're older, you know, nephews and nieces that are, you know, like beyond the cute stage or whatever. Mm-hmm. Keep telling them, like, nope, nope, not even close. <laughs> yeah, and yours will never get beyond the cute stage. No. Nope. It will be small and perfect forever. Forever and ever. Well, if his mother has uh, her way about it, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but I love him so much, and so it's really, it's rough, like, sometimes yeah. trying to see that. I. I don't, do you have kids? I mean, or nephews and nieces? I don't, but I, I have two little nieces. Yeah. So you understand the pain? Oh, I do. Mm-hmm. They're, they're in karate now. Oh my. And they look like grown-ups. <laughs> unacceptable. <laughs> yep. I've had an arrangement with my sister to keep them babies forever, and she has really just let me down on that. Wow. Did she sign a contract? I mean, I think, isn't there like a standard contract you're supposed to sign for that one? Yeah, I mean, we did, you know, we did the standard, like, handshake, blood pact, and mm-hmm. it, she's just backed out of it. Well, I really hope that there was a, a nice rider in there or some kind of consequence for her not living up to her part of the deal. Yeah, the I get a buyout package of drawings that have the word anti written with the N backwards, <laughs> so bye. I, parachute. I, I think, yeah, I think that works out. I think you, you make out the best in that deal. I'm good at writing contracts. <laughs> I would hope so. <laughs> so I, I used to joke around with my parents because my sister's only a year younger than me, and I, I used to be like, "Like, look, I don't remember signing a contract that said you guys could even have another kid, let alone that I had to accept the fact." So, mm-hmm. really, your fault that this all happened. Yeah, on them. <laughs> I always put it on the, on someone else. It's never my fault. <laughs> That's the key to good contract law, isn't it? Right. Yeah. I work with a bunch of contracts and licensing people, so I should just go to them most of the time and be like, look, hypothetically speaking. If, <laughs> if someone had a child, let's say, like, within a year of my birth, uh, how much legal power do I have? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, pff, like, total or partial? I mean, come on. We're mostly yeah. related, so. <laughs> they can probably tell you. No, it's like, welcome to that girl with the curls where we talk contracts with your parents. <laughs> <laughs> And siblings. <laughs> um, I, I am recording already, so uh, we don't have to worry about any, like, uh, intro, because I'll, I'll do that at the top. But um, as a formality, I suppose, uh, Sarah Gailey, welcome to That Girl with the Curls. Thank you for being on the show. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Yes. Um, and uh, right off the bat, I just want to say, because um, your, your debut novella, which is River of Teeth, is really fun and really awesome, and this is the gushy part, so I'm just going to tell you, I enjoyed myself immensely. (laughs) Um, So, because I know that the sequel's coming out soon, is it next month or is it the end of September? It is actually uh, September 12th, which is next week. Next week, yes. launch party is this Saturday and it is going to be a blast and people who come to that can get the book early but if they don't come to that you can get it on the 12th. Nice. Yeah, and uh, they actually, I think Tor put out the first chapter? I be- uh, yeah! Yeah, so I read that this morning while I was at work while I was at work, quote unquote. <laughs> I love it when they do that. No, and it was, it was great because, uh, so when I read uh, River of Teeth, I was actually in Portland for uh, an archives conference, uh, which is my, my job of trade, and uh, it was it was an easy read, and that's not a terrible thing. Nope. Hearing a dog. <laughs> yeah, sorry, the, the puppy has decided to greet one of our neighbors. Okay, he is done. Okay. Sorry about that. No, it's fine. Not a problem. Um, but yeah, so... Like I said, I, I read it in Portland. Uh, easy read. That is nothing to say about you as a writer. It was just a really easy read. Uh, <laughs> and and then my uh, one of my friends who was also there, uh, you know, for the conference as well. She she read it after I did. So we were taking the train from Portland back up to Seattle, and we were like basically talking about it the whole way up. Oh my god! Yeah. 
No, and it was great because we're both, you know, we're, we're both archivists. We're both uh, from the same program that was out of a history uh, graduate program. So we were kind of looking at it as historians in, in a weird way, but then also as, you know, fiction enthusiasts, I suppose, or readers in general. So, so you, you produced quite a lively discussion out of us. Yeah, you guys are like the perfect audience for an alternate history then. Right? I mean... Like, if ever something was meant for me, I'm pretty sure hippo-infested uh, waters of the South, probably. <laughs> Just gonna go with that. Um, I, I wrote it for you special. Thank you. I, w- I was hoping that there would be a dedication, but I guess if you're gonna dedicate it to someone, it might be someone you know or whatever, you know. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. It's like, I'm not gonna hold it against you, but just know that I'm, I'm noting it. <laughs> Okay. All right. I'll keep it in mind okay. for next time. <laughs> um, and I, I can tell you that, because spoilers, obviously, for River of Teeth, because I, w- I do want to talk about it uh, to some extent, but not, like, completely ruin it for everybody. Uh, because the ending was where we, we actually had the biggest part of the discussion, because we were both kind of like, that's it? Like, that's the end? <laughs> <laughs> Because, I mean, you've probably gotten this the whole time. I mean, this is probably not a new uh, mode of questioning or interrogation, as it as it were. But it was like, why there? Why do, Why there? <laughs> <laughs> to be cruel to you. Oh, okay. So you wrote it for me, and then you ended it in a way that was cruel to me. Thanks. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> um, I, I ended River of Teeth where I did because I knew that I wanted it to be novella length. Um, a lot of people have been saying, oh, this would really be better served longer, but there's a big kind of gap between the sweet spot of novella length that I wanted to do for something pulpy mm-hmm. and a novel length thing with a lot of depth and exploration of the world. Um, and I got to the ending, and I I wrote it, and I originally had written it in a way that it would be really just wrapped up and all done, and mm-hmm. you know you know where everybody is and everything's fine, and then I got to the end and the characters were like, no, no. <laughs> we're not going to do that. You're going to need to write a second book. And I said, I don't want to write a second book. And the character said, too bad. (laughs) (laughs) So you see, really, I had no choice. Oh, of course. I mean, once the characters start telling you where the story goes, I mean, you you can't not listen to them. Exactly. It was all their fault. Yeah. Let's let's blame Adelia. I mean, I'm sure she has something to do with it. She usually does. Yeah, probably. No, because I mean that that was yeah that was where our kind of line in the sand discussion was because I was I was okay with it because then I found out there was a sequel I'm like oh okay that that's fine like like I'm fine if like if if you didn't have a sequel then I would have been like yeah what the hell <laughs> it's like son of a bitch I want to know what actually happens to everybody but no it's like Miss Debut novel like, it's almost like that kind of ending should make you want to buy the sequel. You know what, if you're going to put logic in this argument, I don't, I don't know how well this podcast is going to go, really. <laughs> no, you're right, I'm not here to bring the logic, that's not my strong suit. No, lo- logic is never welcome in any situation where you would undermine me as the host. It's just not cool, right. Sarah, it's not cool. <laughs> of course, no, no, you are, you are right in all things. Cool, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> but it, it, it seriously is, like, uh, I mean, with your, the world building especially, because it's... It's, it doesn't feel like it's a lot to take in, but it kind of is when you have to accept a reality where um, hippopotami were imported as a meat source by Congress, right. which which is a, a true thing. You even like you, you did your research because um, and, and I want to kind of talk about that first. So, like, where did you when did you come across this little nugget of information? So this is one of those things that I have no satisfying answer for, and everyone wants to know, <laughs> when did you hear this shit? Um, can I say shit on your podcast? You can, yes, you can say whatever you okay, want. Okay, good, because I just said it twice. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants to know, when did you hear this shit? And I have no idea. It's uh. one of those things I've known forever. Um, kind of like how people know that there's a small town in like Maine or whatever where it's illegal to walk your alligator down the sidewalk. There's a, what? Like Sorry, I didn't know that piece of information. <laughs> <laughs> it's just one of those, like, fun facts where I would go out to dinner and be like, oh, hey, did you know? Um, <laughs> and I knew it for a long time, and then I decided I wanted to write something longer, and this was the thing. 
was it, did it start out as something that you were just going to do like a short story, like something in like an anthology, and then it just turned into a, a bigger story for you? Um, I knew that I wanted to do novella length, mm-hmm. largely because I had been writing short fiction for a while, I wanted to stretch my legs a little, and I, at the time, would swear up, down, and sideways to anyone who would listen, <laughs> I, Sarah Gailey, will never write a novel. <laughs> <laughs> Which worked out great. Yeah, because, um, I mean, technically. <laughs> well, I've, I've got a three-novel contract with Tor, so I had better oh. write some novels. Well, congratulations Otherwise, on that. I'm glad you could live up to your you know expectations of yourself. <laughs> I'm glad that I could break my vow. Yes, exactly. Um, Oathbreaker. <laughs> I had better write some novels or they will be very upset with me. Will they um, will they be alternate history novels, or do you like to uh, you know stretch your, your yourself out in terms of genre? Oh, I like to drive my agent and editor crazy by <laughs> never sticking to the genre that they want me to do. Um, <laughs> the one that I am working on right now for tour is, I think I can tell you this. Okay. Yes, because they put it in print somewhere. Um, it is a fantasy noir. Mm, I like that. It's pretty much just murder. Just whatever genre I can write murders in, just give me those. You're you're a fan of the murder, I guess. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> One could say. <laughs> so where where does where does young Sarah Gailey get her fascination with murder then? Murder. <laughs> murder uh, most foul. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the ultimate stakes raiser. Mm-hmm. Um, I come from a theater background, and we talk a lot about raising the stakes and trying to drive it like the ultimate thing, right? Mm-hmm. And nothing really does the job so efficiently as just like some good old fashioned murder. You know, yeah, does the job. typically drives a plot, um, depending on what yeah. TV show you're watching. <laughs> Plus, no. I'm small mm-hmm. and a lady, <laughs> and uh, I, it gives me great pleasure to see the way that people are taken aback when they find out that I write so much about blood. It's, yeah, it is one of those things where, like, you like to uh, subvert expectation of, you know, for, with people where they're like, oh, you must be into whatever this dainty little thing is like, nope, murder. Exactly, you get it. <laughs> like, moida, moida. <laughs> and you always have to say it in kind of a Edward G. Robinson old-timey gangster kind of thing. Exactly. Moida. Moida. Right, boss? <laughs> <laughs> that is how I talk when I'm not doing my podcast voice. There you go. <laughs> I used to, I, I think I used to, uh, yeah, I used to do a lot of uh, Edward G. Robinson impersonations as a kid. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I, again, like the hippopotamus fact, I don't know where I actually knew anything about Edward G. Robinson um, other than... I think my grandparents used to watch movies with him in it, and then there's probably just that pop culture zeitgeist where people have just done that voice. Yeah, and it's just become the voice. Exactly. Like, there's there's just, like you said, there's certain things you just kind of know because it's been around you, but you can never mm-hmm. quite pin it down, and I feel like yeah. that's been most of my childhood. <laughs> yeah, it's like, a, it's like the 1890s and the search for the source of the Amazon River. It's like, we're never going to find it, and we should just accept it (laughs) for what it is. (laughs) It's like, guys, I'm just letting you know. Amazon River, clearly endless. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) (laughs) No beginning, no real end. We just live in this truth now. Let's go home. And you will surely die if you try to figure it out any more than you already have. For sure. There's always that one naysayer like, sir, I feel like if we just kept pushing forward, we could probably... Nope. 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 Give up now or something will eat you. Yeah. (laughs) Jenkins, we've talked about this. Not doing this. There's always that one naysayer in that crew. (laughs) That's the movie I want to see is just that one naysayer that ends up on like every explorer's boat. (laughs) It's always like, um, question. So. And the question is always, why did we bring you? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's like Columbus lands in the West Indies, and, and he's like, "This is clearly India." And they're like, "Uh, sir, just uh, <laughs> one, one quick question." <laughs> and then they were murdered, probably. I mean, just to tie it back to what we were talking about. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so 
with because uh, I actually have a book that's about the Victorian invention of murder. Um, oh. Yeah, uh, when I was in Portland with with my my friends uh, after the conference, we went to Powell's, like you do. Obviously, yes. Book book mecca, um, mm-hmm. and they both picked up the same book. And then when I saw it, I was like, I have that book! And we were like, what? See, that's a good sign for your friendship right there. Right, exactly. I mean, we're we're clearly all cut from the same cloth. (laughs) We're just looking at that like, I would like to know why the Victorians invented murder. Yes, please. Thank you. Yes, please. (laughs) So I, uh, so I I can totally sympathize. I mean, uh, I used to write short stories as well when I was younger, and... My mother got me this book that was basically all about how to write murders, like, you know, the, how to make it look like an accident, and, you know, how to do this, and set it up, and everything. And I would sit there at my computer, which used to be out in our our living room, and I would, I would kind of wring my hands when I was thinking. And my mom comes into the, the room, and she sees me doing this, she's like, Sam, who are you plotting to kill? (laughs) And I just looked at her, I was like, wouldn't you like to know? sounds like a very thinly disguised manual on how to commit murder. Possibly, yes. Like, whenever I'm doing Google searches that I know would put me on some government watch list yeah. in the course of researching a book, <laughs> I always append, I'm like, how to poison someone without getting caught for a book. <laughs> <laughs> Every time. That's I amazing, I love that. <laughs> And they're just like, oh, well, clearly she's not someone to worry about. She put four yeah, in book. Yeah, she's just a writer. Yeah. Clearly, like, someone's going to listen to this and be like, oh, ah, so that's how you do it. You have to make sure you put four a book. Yeah, uh, for the record, podcast listeners, I do not endorse Googling methods of murdering people, hiding bodies, or blowing things up <laughs> for any reason other than writing a book. Yes. One would hope. Just so all your listeners in the government know. Yes, all, all of my many listener in the government. <laughs> it's like, hi, NSA. <laughs> oh, what am I kidding? They don't they don't have enough people in the government right now to run anything, so they probably don't oh, think. Oh, yeah. Well, okay, whatever Russian yes. outsourced agency is listening to us then. It's like, thank you, comrade. How's it going? <laughs> Say hi to Boris for me. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I've, I've done that a couple of times, uh, cause at work, like my lunch break, I'll just kind of be researching stuff. And even if it's not for like a writing assignment or something like that, it's, it's always just like for my own morbid curiosity, which is probably never a good thing because then I realize, oh, I'm at work and I'm looking up this thing. That's probably not a good idea to look up at work. Yeah, you want to be careful with your search history there. Yeah, I I actually got flagged one time on Google because I was looking for a picture of Bugs Bunny in drag. I and I I couldn't quite figure out why that of all things flagged me. That's got to be some like really specific like mafia code for something. I guess. I mean, I just I literally only wanted a picture of Bugs Bunny dressed as like Brunhilde. Um, yeah, for, it was, which I would think would be pretty easy to find. Oh yeah, I mean once once they stopped getting like their panties in a twist about it, I could finally look at the photos. It was like, yes, this is clearly from a cartoon that I watched when I was a yeah. child. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know what you think Bugs Bunny and drag means, but it doesn't mean that. Yeah, it's a pretty. I I would I can actually picture exactly the drag Bugs Bunny that you had in mind. Yeah, I was just trying to make a point. About subversion in Western animation, but Google apparently doesn't like that. So Google doesn't want you to make points about subversion in Western animation. Ugh. Google wants you to keep on clicking on ads. Come on, get it together. Damn it. Damn it, damn it, damn you it. You got one job. <laughs> one job. Aw, oh, man. I failed Obey so hard. Obey the robot. <laughs> yes, exactly. But I think we've gotten way off track of what we were supposed to be talking about, which was... Yeah, a little bit. Something about hippos, I think. Um, right, right, right. Which, fine. I guess we'll talk about hippos. Uh, So, again, I I think going back to the world building, because you did such a a brilliant job of of really kind of immersing people in that world very quickly. I mean, what, 
I mean, do you, do you feel like it took a lot of drafts to do that? Or did you kind of have a, a more clearly defined idea of what you wanted, like, 1800s America to look like with hippos? Oh, man, I had a pretty clear vision. Um, part of why I decided, I moved to legislation back by about 50 years okay. for purposes of this world building. Um, in reality, it was in, like, 1910 mm-hmm. that this bill was proposed. And I decided to move it back by about 50 years so that there was time for the legislation to have consequences and yada yada Mm -hmm. so that I could have it take place in the 1890s because I am a Victorian costuming nerd and I wanted to write about hats (laughs) (laughs) and it's my book so I get to decide. I I love that. No, I seriously, uh, I love that answer so much. (laughs) I wanted to write about hats. So I did. <laughs> I, I moved a major piece of legislation back 50 years so I could talk about hats. <laughs> yes, that was my one goal, and I accomplished it mightily. <laughs> I feel like you've done the Lord's work here, Sarah. I feel like uh, Thank you. You, can, you can go into the light happy and proud of yourself <laughs> when it happens. I'm just trying to usher in the kingdom of hats. I mean, there's just so many hats to talk about. I mean, the the Victorian era, you know, definitely, and because I'm a big fan of the Wild West era as well. I mean, all mythologized, obviously, but it's such a, a rich world to kind of, like, immerse yourself in, where you're just like, yeah, and then gunslingers, and women in awesome clothing, and, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's sort of, it's, you know, nothing predates consumer culture, but in mm-hmm. terms of clothing and costuming, Everything from mid-Victorian and late-Victorian um, costuming, all of the choices that you make there have to be really intentional, right? Because mm-hmm. everything that someone owns to wear is, like, something that they had made, that they spent a ton of money on, mm-hmm. um, and that they need to last for a long time. So it has to be stuff that they choose really intentionally, which gives you a really rich world to work with in terms of writing those characters and describing what they wear and why. Now, with your, uh, you know, pre-murder history, uh, I mean, I assume you've researched a lot of Victorian-era murder, you know, as indicated by your interest in the book that I was telling you about. Uh, yeah, that book sounds like my jam. I will I will send you the title of which it's on, it's on my shelf right now. I think I'm looking at it, but I don't have my glasses on, so I can't tell. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't know either way. Yeah, that's probably true. I just like narrating what I'm doing right now, so you have an idea that I'm actually making an attempt to try something. (laughs) (laughs) I'm here for you, Sarah. I just want you to know that. I know, I feel it. I feel it. This is why I write books for you. There you go. Right? See? Um, At least in the novel, can I get a dedication? I mean, I'm just saying, if you're writing one for me. Yeah. Of course. No, and I'll have them issue a reprint of River of Teeth that has your name on the cover. Cool, cool. Excellent. I'm glad we've come yeah, to this I have conclusion. control over that for sure. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I believe you. I believe you. Totally. Uh, yeah, so, uh, what was it? Ta- yeah, with the with the Victorian era and everything in the, in the, the pre-murder idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're, where was I going with that? I had a question and then I got off tangent. Shit. Sorry. Like, it'll probably come back to me, but, um. Yeah, we'll get there. Yeah, we'll probably get there. Uh. But you made an interesting point about the uh, the alternate uh, the alternate history uh, portion of this by moving the legislation back. You uh, wanted to be able to kind of fill the world out a lot more based on the consequences, um, which I, I mean I've read a, a fair majority of alternate history, and a lot of people tend to get alternate history wrong in the sense that they think it only affects one thing. Like it's right. my biggest issue with time travel narratives as well because. They assume that, oh, this only affects this bubble. Like, no, that's that's not how that works. But thanks for playing. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Well, and especially, like, with the broadening globalization of American industry in the early 1900s mm-hmm. and the, like, strange movement of goods across the country in the late 1800s, nothing is in a bubble. Every new commodity affects every other section of the American economy Mm -hmm. during that time. There's no verticals. There's no sense of like, oh, well, this is tech 
and this is industry, and this is, like, merchandising. No, it's all, it all goes together in that time. Yeah, and, I mean, it's, and I, I was never especially a very, like, good economic student in, in school. I can, I could show people the C pluses I got in macro and micro. <laughs> not, yeah, that's not too shabby. That's, I mean, it, it's, it was passing, and I was fine with it. I was like, I'm not going any further with this. It's cool. Uh, but it, it does become very apparent, like, once you start really, like, looking into, you know, the history of not just America, but any country, like, how much one thing affects five other things, and then those affect other things. I mean, you can't just say you study one section of history. You have to kind of keep everything in mind, because it's all connected eventually. Absolutely. And, I mean, if you look at, um, so the in River of Teeth, Hippos, right, are a, like, husbandry and agricultural kind of uh, commodity. Mm-hmm. Cows are agricultural, right? Do you count cows in agriculture? I, w- I would think so. You know what I'm getting at. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The meat industry, right? That's mm-hmm. what they are. And when you look at the way that beef has impacted the contemporary American economy and landscape, you've got cows and you've got corn and you've got grain all tied together. And corn and grain are tied into the ways that we produce and consume alcohol, candy, mm-hmm. plastics, um, the way that we tried and failed to disrupt petroleum, mm-hmm. the way that we, uh, the way that we allocate land resources, yep. the way that the government distributes money to producers and farmers, and then that all just ties into every dang other thing in our country. And so there's no way to write about, like, importing megafauna for meat and disrupting the entire American ecosystem. Yeah. While being like, and that's why there's fewer cows now. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, we brought in some hippos and then nothing changed. Yeah, it was all the same. It's not like those bullfrogs that were brought into Australia and then just ravaged the landscape or anything. <laughs> Whatever. Frickin' Australia. <laughs> like, yeah, that's, that's on them. That's not us. We're America. Of course. We can import whatever animals we want. We'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> there will be no consequences to our actions. <laughs> America. <laughs> that's a pretty good uh, motto for... Yeah, I feel like that should go as a poster somewhere, or like some kind of meme yeah. that we can just pass around. <laughs> uh, and then there's like a bald eagle or something like that. Um, but yeah, because uh, I think uh, with the hippos especially, like, so did you, I mean, how much do you know about hippos now? Way more than I ever thought I wanted to. Because <laughs> I know they're violent motherfuckers. I mean, they... Oh my god, they're yeah. I have a, a very good friend who has done several research trips to Africa, mm. um, specifically Ethiopia. He's a journalist, and he has told me this story where he was on a lake, and the lake was a lake that had hippos in it, mm-hmm. and it had crocodiles in it, and he's in a very small boat, and his guide is steering the boat between the hippos and the crocodiles, and they're trying to get to the other side of the lake, mm-hmm. and the guide says, hey... If you fall out of the boat, swim toward the crocodiles. Oh, my God. And my friend goes, what do you mean? And the guide goes, you've got a much better chance of surviving than if you swim toward the hippos. Wow. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I just assumed they'd start performing, uh, what's that ballet routine from Fantasia? You know? Uh, Like that, but with so much more murder. So much more murder, so much more blood. Yeah, okay, I mean... I can see that. That wow. That is that is what that must do to your head when someone tells you that. Like you're just sitting there going, Okay, towards the okay, the violent alright, okay. Yeah. I imagine that you'd need a change of underpants if you fell off that boat. <laughs> was it I mean, was he were they going through and he could just see both sides like staring at him like fresh meat? Oh yeah. Just like, um getting out the ketchup. Yeah, basically, there's just one of them's got ketchup, the other one's got steak sauce, and you're just like, oh shit, which one, which one, which one? (laughs) For the cartoon that I'm seeing in my mind, which just always goes back to that for me. (laughs) It's a good cartoon. Yeah, no. Uh, So so with his research, and then you were just trying to kind of apply it more or less to 
similarities to how we kind of treat, you know, the 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 agriculture industry here in in, in America. I mean, at the time. I'm sorry. Can you say that again? Sorry. Uh, so with his research, you were basically kind of taking what he was telling you about the hippopotami, um, and then applying it to more of the, the agricultural industry in America at that time period, correct? Oh, you know, I just kind of looked at that, um, specific anecdote of his Mm -hmm. as a good way to emphasize hippos will murder you so bad. Yeah. (laughs) They will murder you so bad, and... You know, every time that I talk about the concept of river of teeth, people are like, oh gosh, well, aren't hippos kind of dangerous? And I'm like, guys, <laughs> they will murder you for fun. They have been seen and recorded by scientists going out of their way to just kill a thing. They're just like, oh, that thing's over there. I don't want it over there anymore. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds so, like um, dolphins. Like, yeah. dolphins will just... Yeah, they will. They can save you, but they could also possibly murder you with their by like hitting you m- repeatedly with their with their uh, noses, with their beaks. Yeah, they're brutal. Yeah, for no reason, just for fun. <laughs> Which you know, I would point out. We talk a lot about that kind of thing, like with dolphins. We're like, oh, they're mean, they're evil, and then I'm like, hey, have you met humans? Yeah, it it it's and, and it's always kind of the way we frame that is. It's, it's like a projection of humanity as well. We're like, can't believe that they murdered that thing. It's like, well, it's nature. I mean, in nature, <laughs> some animals are dicks. I mean, that just, that's like a given. Yeah. But I have, um, I have a, another book you might find interesting, which is called um, The Lucifer Principle. And, oh. and it talks about how genetically we're inclined to do evil things to uh, uh, basically propagate our own species. Okay. Yeah, and one of the stories that always stuck out with me, because I, I read this way back when I was uh, an undergrad, um, and it basically talked about gorillas and how uh, gorilla females will purposely murder the baby of another female so that their, their baby will like, r- rise higher in the ranking. Right, right, right. And Lions the, do that too, I think. Do they? Oh, okay, yeah. So, I mean, and it's, because there's that part of you that goes like, I can't believe she would, but then you think about how most species are trying to just push their genetic material across anyway, and like, okay, I'm projecting an emotional stance on it that doesn't exist. Right. Yeah. And then there's the fact that, you know, because we can't communicate very effectively with a lot of animals we're kind of guessing what their emotional reality is anyway. Mm-hmm. Very true. I've got no idea if a hippo is like, I'm going to murder that thing for fun, or if the hippo's like, according to my complex systematic theology, I have a moral obligation to murder that thing that's in the water. The religion of the hippopotami. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> that would be amazing. We just need to get Dr. Doolittle down here, and uh, he can talk. Take care of it. Yeah, it'll be we'll fine. Figure it out. We'll have to fig- like, well, Rex Harrison's dead, so I don't think we can use him. But uh, Eddie Murphy, I believe, also a Doctor Doolittle. I think we're good. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For the ages. For of course, a timeless classic. <laughs> classic Eddie Murphy. Uh, <laughs> but uh, and even in your book, because uh, you you do show some degree of domestication with mm-hmm. with the the hippos, because uh, Houndstooth has uh, what was it? Uh, Ooh. Ruby. Ruby, that's right. Sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so Ruby's a bit... She's domesticated in the sense that she is loyal to him, but would probably kill anyone else, given the chance. Right. Ruby is kind of the parallel to, like, you know, when you've got your Western... Your wild Western hero who's riding the the stallion that only he can tame. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of the deal with all the hippos. You know, there's a couple in this world that are, like, the kind of tired, beat-up old horse that you take little kids on slow walks around the paddock on, but Mm -hmm. for the most part, if you're going to be someone who rides a hippo, you've got to be the kind of person who can ride a fucking hippo. Yeah. And that's no joke. So the domesticity of the hippo is uh, thin. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah, because there's Ruby, uh, who's like the black, sleek stallion. I, I, I remember distinctly. She's built for stealth, basically. Yes. <laughs> which I just love that idea of like stealth hippo. <laughs> <laughs> which, which 
is is just fun for me to imagine. But I also I really liked the idea of Rosa, the the albino hippo. Um, just her and, and Archie, because you have these really distinct and amazing characters on top of everything who are not only, like, made of, of stronger stuff for being hippo riders, but are all very distinct in their own way. Um, and the, the first question I, I always like to ask authors about is, um, how do you, like, with naming your characters, like, do you have a process? Do you have names already in mind? Because that's always one of the things that I struggle with, is just the perfect name for a character. Right. And naming is, like, that impossible thing that we all spend a billion years on. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes a name comes to me before I even start developing the character. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how it was for Winslow Houndstooth. I was like, I'm going to write this thing. It's going to take place in this time period. Who is my main character going to be? And the name Winslow Houndstooth comes into my head, and then I'm like shit, okay, well, who's Winslow Houndstooth? (laughs) And I've got to develop his character based on his name. Mm -hmm. Whereas for, um, for instance, for Hero, Hero's name took me ages to come up with. Yeah. Because Hero is non-binary. And I don't want to give Hero a name that any reader can think they're clever and be like, oh, that's, that's the real gender. Because that's what a lot of bigoted people try to do anyway and I did not want to give anybody any tools for that Mm -hmm. um and so that was like a lot of research and meaning and like what do I want to say about this character with this name yeah um so I think it really differs based on the character some of them jump out at me and some of them are like no that's not my name no that's not my (laughs) name either (laughs) do you go through and like revise like you have a name kind of like as a stand-in and then you're like all right, I'm going to change that eventually, or, or do, does that happen and it just remains the name throughout the whole thing and just apparently is the name? Every now and then, I'll think that I have the name, mm-hmm. and then I'll go back through and read a chapter to edit it, and I'll, every time I see the name, I'm like, oh, I just hate it so much, <laughs> and then I'll get to the end of the chapter and be like, oh, wait, I'm in charge, I get to change it. <laughs> like, wait a second, I'm God! Yeah. <laughs> Like, I get to make all the choices. Exactly. I'm the boss. <laughs> yeah. Like, guess what, Winslow Houndstooth? Your name stays. <laughs> I have decreed it. <laughs> and, and yeah, I do want to talk about Hero because, um, I mean, this this shouldn't be a shocker, but it's 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 more the, the decision to have a, a non-binary character set in a time period where readers will often, uh, you know, assume that that is not something that would have occurred. Um, and so can you kind of talk about that process, you know, of, I mean, it's not even really a process, but just that decision of making sure that Hero was a a non-binary character. Sure. Um, you know, first of all, I, I went into this going, I'm going to write a story that, um, people I love can see themselves in. Mm-hmm. And this is like the agenda that people are terrified of when they talk about diverse books. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, like, fuck those people. The yeah. people who I love deserve to see themselves in literature. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I went, okay, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and do that. And it's not really much of a decision for me. The idea of writing a book where everybody is straight and white and like upper middle class um, and able-bodied and cisgender just kind of makes me want to Ralph because <laughs> that's not what my world looks like. Mm-hmm. And contrary to popular belief, uh, gender and sexuality weren't invented in 1974. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of of gay people and trans people and non-binary people running around in every historical period. What? The notion that this is like a new thing is completely ridiculous. (laughs) So of course I've got a a non-binary character in this world that I'm writing. That's the character who I want to write about. They existed. It doesn't feel like a question to me. 
Yeah. And, and yeah, and I apologize for even turning it into something like that, because you're like, I want to I wanna get the story, but I don't want to sound like a complete asshole about it. Oh, and... not at all. <laughs> I, I don't think that you're being even a little bit of an asshole to ask about it. Um, my, like, this isn't a question for me, isn't directed at you, it's directed at the volley of people who have been saying, oh, there's just no way that these people could have survived back then. Yeah, because um, gender fluidity, like, never existed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Pre- precludes survival. Of Absolutely. Course. Yeah. It's it's not like there are tons of stories you can go and find about men dressing as women, women dressing as men, people acting according to how they felt they were supposed to be. Um, yeah, that doesn't exist. That's not there. Yeah. Plus, I have very little patience for people who say, now I can believe that people were riding hippos, <laughs> but a bisexual person? What? A bridge too far. How dare you? How how dare you challenge my ideas of what the 1800s in the South was like? Back when white men were the only people. Yes, the the only ones who existed ever. Yeah. No, the the yeah no that that idea that uh, especially you know yeah it's an alternate history it's in its own way a fantasy novel but at the same time it's like that's where you're gonna draw the line bisexuality yeah. non-binary yeah. people it's like. Wow, what it must be like to live in your world. You know, it's the notion of um, realism mm-hmm. and who gets to be real. I think it's a lot easier to act on bigoted beliefs mm-hmm. when you think that the people you're bigoted against aren't real people. Yep. No, and I mean, just in reading it, again, like, you, you, you take such a short amount of time to set up the world building uh, that, I mean, it... It's so vivid immediately. And then also with the romance between Hero and Houndstooth, it's it's fairly quick. I mean, you can kind of see where it happens, but there's also these really tender moments between the two of them where you're like, oh my god, I love you two so much together. You have to, <laughs> you have to go sit on that porch together and be happy with your hippos. <laughs> It's like you touch on like that. I, I don't really give into the hopeless romantic part of my personality, but damn if, if you didn't just like hit it like right there. I don't know if you can tell how much fun I have writing their romance. It was like my favorite thing, and I would be sitting there during my lunch break at work writing it and turning bright pink at my desk. Like <laughs> I just love them so much. They're so adorable. I, I especially love when Archie threatens Hero. Which he's like, if you heard him, I swear to God. <laughs> I felt like that was just like, because not only do you have heroes, you know, you know, they're a, a non-binary character, but you also have all of the other characters don't make any big deal out of it. Like, it never once occurs to anybody that this is an issue. And I think that, I mean, that's, uh, this is just a self-congratulatory thing for you, but it's like, that's the right thing to do because... Not only are you writing for the audience that you want to see themselves in, but also it's a world where this isn't an issue for anyone. You know what? I will tell you that that is a later draft decision. Oh, really? Um, And that's something that I would love to take immediate credit for and be like, oh, yeah, I'm just the best. I'm just that progressive. Um, Oh, my God. (laughs) But this is something that I... I actually really want to talk about as often as I can mm-hmm. is in my first draft of River of Teeth um, there wasn't that sense that these people just aren't there and it's fine right I wrote in racism I wrote in fat phobia I wrote in homophobia coming from bad guys mm-hmm. because I thought that's how you have to write this Yeah. if you have a character who's not white you have to show other people being dicks to them because they're not white mm-hmm. and I was absolutely blessed by sensitivity readers who came in and said, hey, what if you um, had any creativity and <laughs> didn't do that? And I was like, what? <laughs> what, what, what? Write something different from what I've always read? What? Oh, the scandal of it all. Yeah. And I was totally, I was totally blown away. I had a really hard time taking that criticism. I didn't always do a great job at it. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the end, then those sensitivity readers challenging me to do better by my characters mm-hmm. and to let them have challenges that are not 
solely focused on their intersectional identities. Yeah. I think is what made this a good book. No, and, and, and I agree, and that's, yeah, because, uh, yeah, for you to go through that process of getting people to tell you, like, okay, I, I get it, but maybe do better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and But then the fact that you, you went that, you took that step, and you're like, okay, I'm going to do better now. And what does yeah. doing better look like? And because I, I, you know, I follow a lot of uh, people on Twitter, and that is always an issue where you have someone who is different than whatever the standard default always seems to be, which is white heterosexual male, um, and that they're always judged by whatever makes them different from that default. And instead of them just being fully fleshed out people who live their damn lives. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I, I think the importance of hearing that criticism cannot possibly be overstated. Mm-hmm. No, Even it, though it's really hard sometimes. I can imagine, no, and I can imagine because, I mean, every writer, you know, you see a finished product to, to whatever extent is, is like a baby. I mean, you're just like, this is my precious love and nothing can ever change. It's finally finished, blah, blah, blah. And then someone tells you that there's something wrong with your baby. And then you're like, no, there isn't like that. Yeah. That birthmark is fine. (laughs) You really want to believe that the first sentence you wrote exactly as you wrote it the first time was perfect because you are intrinsically a special genius prodigy of the craft who Mm -hmm. already knows everything and cannot do anything wrong. Of course, right? Like, doesn't, don't your parents I mean, tell you that from the get-go? for me, but just not in this case. Oh, of course, yeah. No, I, I just yeah. figure everyone's parents tell them how great they are from the moment that... <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I mean, how... I mean, do you kind of take that... Um, was it Ginsburg who, who basically said, kill your darlings? Do you take that into account at times? Um, it never gets easier. Yeah. I'm editing something right now, and I had to remove a sentence that I was like, this is the best sentence I've ever written, and it's the best sentence that will ever be written, and the English language is improved for me having written this sentence, Mm -hmm. and my reader, my first reader on this editing draft was like, oh, this is terrible. (laughs) And I reread it and was like, oh... It's terrible in this context, and I have to take it out. No. But, you know, I had to take a minute. I had to, like, sit quietly with the grief um, and then commit the murder of the darling. Now, is that a thing where if it hadn't been pointed out to you, you would have you would have kept that sentence in? Or do you think if you had walked away for a little bit and then come back, it might have stuck out to you? Oh, I totally would have kept it in, and every time that I read that paragraph, I would have been like, that sentence is the best sentence in history. (laughs) It's the best sentence that ever sentenced. (laughs) Every time. Yeah, okay. I know because I read it several times in my first drafting, and every time I read it, I was like, yeah, I did that sentence. (laughs) (laughs) See, I've, I've... I've had the opposite effect where, like, I've gone to, like, I mean, I've, I've read old thesis papers of mine, like, my graduate and my bachelor's thesis, like, I still have them, and every once in a while I'm like, what if I revisited this as a thing that I might want to do later in life? And I start reading them, and I'm like, why did you, why? Why was that there? Like, how could you have thought that that was a coherent thought? Oh, yeah. Reading things that I wrote, like, a year or two ago mm-hmm. is always this, like, exquisitely painful experience where I'll be like, oh my god, I forgot I wrote that, I really like that. And then in the next paragraph, I'll be like, oh my god, I really wrote that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Just like, that's not how punctuation works. <laughs> yeah. But that's good, it means that we're growing, right? If you can't look back and say, oh boy, I would do that differently now, mm-hmm. then you haven't you haven't come anywhere. Yeah, I mean, if you're you're not, like, continually, like, challenging yourself, then it's like, what's the point? I mean, if you're always good from the get-go, you have absolutely no place to grow from. Exactly, and I have a lot of places to grow right now. Yay! (laughs) Progress! I know, right? There's always that, and there was much rejoicing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, so, we're, we're getting close to the end of the hour, um, is there anything you would like to tease with uh, a taste of marrow? Because this is actually going to go out after the the book has has gone out. 
Um, okay. This probably won't drop until the 29th, unless you would like it to come out um, before that. Uh, it is totally up to you. You are the boss of your podcast. I am just a humble guest. <laughs> I am the god of this podcast. You will <laughs> exactly. submit to my will, Sarah. <laughs> okay. Um, here, here is the tease that I can give you for Taste of Marrow that will not spoil anything major from River of Teeth. All right. And that is that uh, River of Teeth is very plot-driven. Mm-hmm. It's very, it's a heist, it's a caper, or an operation, depending on who you talk to, and it moves really fast, and it's all about the plot. Yeah. In Taste of Marrow, you get a lot more of the characters, um, you get a lot more of every character, you get more of Hero, you get more of Adelia, you get more of Archie, you get more of Carter, mm. you get a lot more of Houndstooth, and you get to explore more of their relationships and motivations with each other. What What about um, Cal? Do we get more of Cal? Well, I don't want to spoil anything from River of Teeth, but um, Cal isn't doing so hot <laughs> by the end of River of Teeth, so I... <laughs> he, he's not featured in Taste of Marrow. But you're saying he could pull through. <laughs> I think his chances are pretty slim. So um, what you're saying is there's a chance... I, Okay. Because, yeah, that first chapter, we, we get a little taste of her, but... Mm-hmm. A little little bit, but... Because, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it, it was... I think it was the perfect thing for Tor to do, because that first chapter does give you kind of... I mean, it's just enough, where it's almost like kind of the end of River of Teeth, where you're like, but, wait, what? <laughs> I need it's more. almost... You could say that you just get a taste mm. of marrow. Sure. Get it? See what I did there? No, yeah, no, I got it. Yeah, it's great. It was good. Mm-hmm. That was a joke. Yeah. It was a uh, humorous joke. Yes. Yeah, based on the title of the book. Well, look at the time. We have to. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Looks like we'll be going now. <laughs> you have that this thing was... you have to get to, right? <laughs> this was so much fun. Thank you so much for having me on the show. No, this, um, this was great. I'm glad we could actually do it because I, I apologize for the, you know, like the pushing around of schedules and whatnot, but, uh, this... I don't know, I appreciate you accommodating my, my schedule. No, of course. I mean, this, this happens all the time. I'm telling you, I've had worse situations with scheduling before, so you are, like, low on the scale of people I have on my list, so... Okay, that's what I like to hear. <laughs> uh, I've seen worse. <laughs> there we go. Uh, so then, uh, as we... W- uh, wrap this up. Uh, where might people follow you online or talk at you if they wish to tell you all the things that they like or don't like about River of Teeth and Taste of Marrow? <laughs> um, you can follow me online on Instagram or Twitter. I mostly use Twitter. My handle there is Gaily Frey. <laughs> um, and if you want to tell me how much you loved River of Teeth and Taste of Marrow, there is an email form on my website, sarahgaily.com. If you want to tell me how much you hated River of Teeth or Taste of Marrow, that email form will not work. It will break and you shouldn't even try. <laughs> it will scold you. It will send a very distasteful message to you. Yeah, it will contact your mother and tell her you've been rude. Oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> I fear my mother. Don't worry. <laughs> it's all good. It's great. There's nothing wrong with this book at all. It's fine. There we go. There we are. <laughs> Well, and uh, and Sarah, I, I can't express how much this has been so fun, and you're welcome to come back anytime if you want to talk about Taste of Marrow, or we haven't even gotten into, apparently, your Doctor Who love, because your Twitter handle just tells me everything. <laughs> Says everything you need to know. Exactly. I think next time we'll just have to exclusively talk about Doctor Who, and then a little bit more of the books, but then mostly Doctor Who. Perfect. Excellent. All right, well, uh, again, on behalf of That Girl with the Curls, thank you, Sarah Gailey. The book is River of Teeth. Go read it as well as Taste of Marrow once it is out. By the time you're listening to this, it will definitely be out. Um, And as always, good night, everybody. (laughs) 